Hello, you're listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Trout. How many times have you had questions after the homily? How many times have you wished that Father had spoken on this topic or maybe that topic and you thought, wouldn't it be great to just sit down with the priest and talk about those things of the day that just didn't quite make it in the homily? Well, if that's the case, then this is the podcast for you. We'll talk about topics ranging from literature to politics, from church teaching to church architecture. If it's relevant to Catholics, to their daily lives, and their journey to heaven, it's on our agenda. Whether you're an every Sunday or a Christmas and Easter or a I can't remember the last time I went to Mass Catholic, we're here and we're here for you. Father Daniel Scheid is the pastor of St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Well, Father Dan, welcome back to your podcast, After the Homily. It's great to be here, Chris. Yeah, we're going to um, devote, (laughs) you might say, our discussion today to devotions. And interestingly, this topic came up, of all places, when I was in a conversation with Bishop Kevin Rhodes. And he talked about having a special devotion to, I believe, Our Lady of Lourdes. And he said he was preparing to go to World Youth Day at the time. And then he couldn't wait to go see Our Lady of Fatima. And then he laughed and said, but I feel like I might be sort of cheating on Our Lady of Lourdes because I feel so devoted to her. And then he laughed more and said, wait, that's the same person. How could I feel that way? But it did get me thinking that we we hear people talk about devotions a lot. I can think of several homilies where the priest has been talking about maybe the saint of the day and would reference them as having had a special devotion to to this or that. And so I I think a lot of people, Catholic and non-Catholic, question this, what is a devotion exactly? And sort of what does it mean? That's a hilarious story, Chris. (laughs) And it, it does actually raise the question of how we're devoted to ordinary people Mm. in ordinary ways. So for example, how many years have you been married to your beautiful bride? 28 wonderful ones. 28. And in, in your own marriage, I would imagine there are different seasons, different experiences, maybe even different places where you've lived. And in those places, you've experienced different graces. Mm. I mean, I'm just speculating about your, your long life. And you know, I, I suppose in any relationship, in general, it's a good thing to be drawing on gifts that have been given at different points in one's relationship. And I would also suppose in general terms that sometimes in a couple's relationship, it, it can be tempting to think that one part of our marriage was the golden age or the, you know, the, the happiest time to be more devoted in a sense to that mm. than to, to perhaps a, a different, harder stretch of one's marriage. And this really does get us to the heart of the topic because any devotion by definition has to do with commitment. I mean, the word devotion, de voto, of a vow or of a commitment gets us to what it is 
to be committed to a person or persons in the plan of God. And this, of course, begs the question, what does our devotion to God have to do with our devotion to other people, our neighbor? And of course, Christ says the greatest commandment is loving God with all of our, our, our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul. But then he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, there is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. So it would seem that Christ, who is the union of God and man, fully God, fully man, fully the Lord, fully our neighbor, um, is, is showing us that the love of God and the love of other people, our, our commitment to the Lord and our commitment to each other are not meant to be in competition or it's not, um, well, it's 50% God and 50% people or 99.9% God and 0.1% people. It's, it's fully uh, devotion to the Lord and fully devotion to his people. And so when it comes to our devotion to the saints, I, I suppose the first thing that needs to be said is, well, the saints are more devoted to us than we are to them. And why is that? Because the life of God is, is in them. They've, they've received their lives from the Lord and the Lord has given their lives to us. I mean, we're connected as St. Paul says, as, as members of, of one body, we belong to each other that intimately. Yeah. To be, you know, we think about, we use the word casually, I suppose, but you know, maybe we're devoted to fitness or we're devoted to health or devoted to our job or to a hobby, a little bit of a different meaning, but it conjures up that idea. I'm, I'm going to be committed I'm going to keep my promise, so to speak. Yes. And, you know, again, to go back to your wonderful marriage, to your beautiful <laughs> bride, Marianne, within that marriage, there can be all sorts of devotions, you know, so a devotion to your common work, mm. for example, helping couples in the, the care of, of their children from the very beginning. But, but those devotions to things or activities, they have to be more deeply personalized in, in your devotion to each other. And so, by the same token, our, our devotion to other people has to be seen uh, in the horizon and lived in the, the gift of, of God. So fundamentally, it, it's the Lord who's given the two of you to each other. It's the Lord who has, has surrounded me with, with friends. So the, in the communion of the saints, that exists because Jesus has friends and he wants his friends to be friends. <laughs> and so again, there's no, there's no competition there. And even in the gospel, one can imagine an alternative gospel in which Jesus just appeared directly and individually to each person. So just 
coming up to each and every individual person directly and saying, I am the incarnate Lord of the universe. <laughs> Come follow me. Everyone would be an apostle. Exactly. <laughs> but he didn't choose to do it that way. Instead, he called them two by two. For a mysterious reason, he wanted uh, Peter and Andrew to be in it together. And even for Andrew to bring his brother, Peter, to come to know the Lord. In the case of the brothers, James and John, or in the case of, of Philip and Nathaniel. In, in those cases, the Lord is the one initiating uh, the call of each person, but he's deliberately doing it, we might say, through intermediaries, not because He's not the one and only mediator between God and man. Mm. He is the one and only mediator, but, but he's a mediator who delights in creating mediations from his love for his love. Again, because he, he loves us as, as limbs on his own body. And so when he loves us, each of us, he loves us in view of this this great communion, this great family of friendship that, that he's forming. And, and when we love other people, ultimately we're loving them in view of the fact that they're gifts to us from God. Mm. So that God really is all in all in everyone. So the apostles could be you know, they had relationship, they could see each other. And, you know, we have relationship with our friends that we would say we're devoted to. It certainly seems easier when we can see them and touch them and, and yes. hear them. How does one develop a devotion, that same kind of relationship to a saint? I, I actually think that it happens organically. I remember Pope Benedict, before he became Pope Benedict, was asked by a journalist, how many ways are there to God? And the journalist expected then Joseph Ratzinger to say, well, there's only one way to God, uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, that's a true answer. But Joseph Ratzinger responded, there are as many ways to God as there are human beings. Because each of us is a starting point that Jesus Christ, the one and only mediator, uses so to your question, our developing friendships with other people can have a very circumstantial character to it. So, you know, why am I friends with the friends I have? Well, we went to school together. Similar hobbies. We were in the military together. Yeah, similar hobbies. And so the fact that I grew up at Our Lady of Grace Parish in Highland, Indiana, I just organically, even without thinking of it, developed a devotion to the Blessed Mother under that title. And when it comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary, all the titles that she's given are just so many facets of, of the Lord's life in her, of, of, how, of how all generations call her blessed, as, as she says in the Magnificat of Luke's Gospel. So back to Bishop Rhodes's funny statement about mm. having a devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes. The fact that in the 19th century, uh, the Blessed Mother appeared to St. Bernadette and, and that, that encounter 
was the source of great healing for uh, multitudes of people over many, many years. For Bishop Rhodes to be devoted to Mary, in a sense, receiving a continuation of that particular gift, I just think that's how, how human life starts. Mm-hmm. Like you, as a physician, are drawn to that aspect of being human. And, and many people, when they encounter you, they encounter you as Dr. Christopher Stroud. <laughs> um, are you reducible to that? Absolutely not. But is that a significant, wonderful part of who you are? Yes. So when Our Lady appears to the children in Fatima in the early 20th century, she appears to give them a, a different message, a, mes- a message of, of praying and doing penance for the the conversion of the world in particular, or, or in general, but Russia in particular, communism was was just beginning to uh, take hold in that part of the world, and and so to be devoted to the Virgin Mary, um, very much in her role as a as a teacher, and as as somebody who's who's helping us to how to pray. So when she teaches the children the prayer, Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. To have a devotion to Mary's teaching role and also the salvation of souls by Christ, you know, that that just shows how multifaceted Mary's life and mission are. But that also shows us how how multifaceted our mission is we could almost substitute devotion for sort of connection or interest yes. or yeah i like i like the idea that devotion carries commitment with it so it's not just an optional hobby it's it's actually my true identity is shown me mm-hmm the Catholic custom of receiving a saint's name at baptism or certainly at, at confirmation, choosing a, a patron saint. It, it's not so much that we choose the saint, but it's the saint who chooses us. And, and the idea is that we actually come to be ourselves, not outside of communion, but, but actually from within communion and and for communion. So I think I might've mentioned this in another podcast. Uh, The word idiot comes from the Greek word idiotas, meaning the private individual who has no interest in the good of the city. So the the idiot was was the antisocial person. And so I think sometimes in the spiritual life, without even thinking about it, we can become so self-preoccupied, so self-focused in our own perfection or lack of perfection that we lose sight of the horizon that Christ is saving us through friendship, through the friends that he puts in our life to communicate his own friendship. And that list would include the saints that have gone before us. Absolutely. And, you know, in heaven, we become more ourselves. So you, you will out Christopher yourself in heaven. <laughs> And that just means that 
the love that the saints had on earth gets magnified, transformed. So the Virgin Mary loves more in heaven. She's more powerful in the power of her son in heaven. So in the book of Revelation, for example, chapter 12, you know, the woman clothed with the sun, uh, the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's pregnant with the Messiah. For as much as that woman embodies faithful Israel, embodies the church, the woman embodies Israel and the church because the woman is Mary. There's only one human being who carries the Messiah. And thanks to that mission, each of us in faith can also receive Christ. Listening to you, I'm reminded, it almost, it's almost sad, but our, our Protestant brothers and sisters have really missed out on this as an opportunity to understand because I think of a, of a sense of an anti-Catholic, Catholics worship saints, worship Mary, it's in the way of Jesus. By, by thinking that way, they're missing out on what you've just described, that opportunity to befriend the friends of Jesus. Yeah, I, the, this might be a generational thing on my part, but in, in my experience, I find that there's more just easily resolved misunderstanding on, on this point. I mean, obviously there are some diehards who, <laughs> who receive as part of the, the Protestant tradition, uh, the, the false belief that Catholics worship Mary mm. or Catholics worship the saints. But, but just to have an ordinary conversation with somebody just asking the simple question, you know, do you ever ask other people to pray for you? Mm. And if the answer is yes, well, welcome to the beginning of the communion of saints. Like, <laughs> or just like, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? I, I don't know that I've ever met a single person who said, yeah, nobody ever told me anything. And I just had a direct private revelation <laughs> in which everything about Jesus Christ and its historical specificity was made crystal clear to me. And now my relationship with him is in hermetically sealed, individualized <laughs> perfection. That's just not how it works. It so, like, thanks to, for example, the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm. thanks, for example, to the testimony of St. Paul, thanks to the generations of, of human beings who have, who have shared the life that Christ has given them with other people. It's, it's in that way we, we come to faith in Christ. In other words, uh, it's not as if Jesus sends his followers out. So like imagine Jesus sending the 12 apostles out and, and giving them authority to preach in his name. I mean, he does that, but it's not as if the people just come back to Jesus and, and only are only connected to Jesus. It's, it's precisely the friendships that Christ forms in and through the apostles that, that, that grows the church. Mm. Like, so there, there's just an immediate bond between 
for example, the one who baptizes and the one who is baptized. Mm-hmm. That's why St. Paul can call himself in multiple places of his letters, the, the, the father of, of those he's baptized. It's like the, the mutual devotion in Christ is that sacramentally intimate. And I, I repeat, it's not a competition between Paul and Christ. <laughs> Christ is Lord. Paul is not. But God is so good that the, the living bond of friendship in the Holy Spirit between Paul and those whom, whom Paul loves, that, that remains. It's, it's stronger than death. I'm sure listeners, maybe again, some of our Protestant brothers and sisters would think, wow, I struggle to feel like I have a relationship with Jesus. I can't see him. I can't, I can't touch him. I can look at renderings of him. Now, now I'm going to try to have a relationship with saints in heaven. That's, that's overwhelming. That's just, that's just too much, but it's not really an either or. It's certainly a both and, isn't it? Yeah, and in several ways. So, first of all, it can be as simple as studying how ordinary friendships happen, you know, spending time together, listening to the other person, sharing one's life with the other person. Like, that's how ordinary friendships develop. And so, because Christ is God made man, that relationship with the Lord, listening to his word and, and speaking to him, face-to-face in prayer is crucial. And then trusting that the Lord has connected our life with the lives of other people. Now, the other dimension of this that, that really needs to be taken seriously is the fact that the church is, is a living organism and the friendships that were made in the beginning remain. So it's possible to see in the church's liturgical calendar, which is is chock full of saints' feast days, a way of studying the the power of Christ as it lives generation to generation. So, for example, today, the day we're recording this podcast, is August 25th, 2023, which happens to be the the memorial of Saint Louis of France, who lived in the 13th century. So, when I study the work of Christ in Louis's life, when I, when I read the, the spiritual testament that Louis left to his son, which is in my breviary, the, the Liturgy of the Hours, the church's public prayer, Christ is blessing me. Like I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ, thanks to Jesus Christ alive in St. Louis, or yesterday, the Feast of St. Bartholomew. It's not that Bartholomew is like one of the solid rocket boosters of the space shuttle that just kind of fulfills its task and then is cast away. I mean, in the book of Revelation, it says the, the apostles are the, the, the foundations of the, of the heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, uh, their lives, their missions are are vitally important to this very day. And I, at a certain point, I was having a conversation with, 
with an evangelical and the the person was just not easily persuaded that Catholics don't worship the saints. And it just came to my mind to show, to show them the Roman Missal. That's not a weapon, by the way, it's M I S S A L. It's the red book used on the altar in every Catholic church around the world. And so if you go to the book that governs the liturgical prayer, the worship of over a billion human beings on the planet, if you go to that book, every single prayer of the saints' feast days, every single prayer is addressed to God. And I happen to have on my lap the Roman Missal and the, the opening prayer for today's memorial of St. Louis. And this is how it reads. O God, who brought St. Louis from the cares of earthly rule to the glory of a heavenly realm, grant, we pray, through his intercession, that by fulfilling our duties on earth, we may seek out your eternal kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. So in the church's liturgical prayer, first of all, it's addressed to God. Second, it's calling on the power of God as it continues to live in this person who is participating in the resurrection of Christ. And each of these liturgical prayers concludes through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Not as an alternative, not as a, no, you know, a parallel, but through. Every single one of them. And I will, I'll give you the one for August 27th, St. Monica. Oh God, who console the sorrowful and who mercifully accepted the motherly tears of St. Monica for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Grant us through the intercession of them both that we may bitterly regret our sins and find the grace of your pardon through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. So notice, what does Monica do, by the way, in fifth century Africa? She intercedes for her son. She prays for her son. Continuously. Um, what, what converts Augustine? Well, obviously, Jesus Christ converts him. But through the instrumentality of his mother, through the preaching of St. Ambrose, through all of these friendships that he forms with other people. And so... The, the Catholic understanding of the communion of saints takes seriously the fact that God's gifts are irrevocable and, and these relationships are living. And the fact that we can be encouraged, not just by the external example, but, but actually in the plan of God to receive gifts through the Lord working through these lives it's just a way of saying that, well, Christ has one body and, and, and all of us, the baptized, are, are its members. And I have to inflict on you and our listeners one, one final prayer from the, uh, the Roman Missal. And it's the 
preface before the Eucharistic prayer. It's called preface one of the saints. It's one of the options that can be used just before the Eucharistic prayer on saints feast days. And this is, this is the prayer. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God. For you are praised in the company of your saints and in crowning their merits, you crown your own gifts. By their way of life, you offer us an example. By communion with them, you give us companionship. By their intercession, sure support, so that, encouraged by so great a cloud of witnesses, we may run as victors in the race before us and win with them the imperishable crown of glory through Christ our Lord. And so, with the angels and archangels, with the great multitude of the saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy. Now, what's so important about this prayer, again, first of all, it's addressed to God our Father through Christ our Lord, and it, it's actually alluding to the vision that we're given in the book of Revelation, in which we see God in the company of the angels and the saints. And so God, his, his glory radiates outward into them. And that reflected glory leads, leads back to the Lord. And so quoting uh, the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, you know, surrounded as we are by so great a cloud of witnesses, Catholic devotion to the saints is just acknowledging that that's actually true. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and they are cheering us on and they're, they're helping us out. And it seems like almost to suggest otherwise would to suggest that heaven was empty. Well, and, and ultimately even without willing it, it, it becomes disrespectful of God. So, I mean, for example, Chris, mm -hmm. if I said, Chris, I, I love you so much. I love you um, far more than Marianne. And far more than your children. <laughs> In fact, Chris, you're everything to me. And, and the others, uh, not so much, not so much like at a certain point. Um, well, but you know, at a, at a certain point, um, you're, you're going to say things like, well, I'm married to Marianne. Those children are mine. It's, it's actually impossible to know me and love me without knowing and loving them. We're a package deal. We're a communion of persons. Some on earth, some in heaven. Exactly. And so, yeah, in the creed, when we profess that we believe in all things visible and invisible, um, we're acknowledging the fact that some of our family and friends are, are with us in, in the most ordinary, uh, obvious ways. And others of them are with us more mysteriously, but they're with us because God is with us always to the end of time. I'm reminded uh, as a father that as a parent, there's nothing more touching than seeing your children together. Yes. 
particularly as they begin to age and particularly now at this point in my life, as they begin to have children, there's nothing like that. And I often wonder, is that just a little glimpse into what it must be like for God, the father? Yes. To see his children. How could it not? That's why Jesus tells the parables that he does about the... (laughs) the father of the, of the, the children or, or Christ would say, you know, if, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, <laughs> how much more does your heavenly father, you know, know what he's about? Yeah. I mean, the other side of that coin must be, it must be so disappointing when we're not acting as we should. This is true. But for example, when I give a compliment to your son, Masale, and I say, Masale, you just did a great job serving mass today. And you overhear that. Are you getting jealous because I gave a compliment <laughs> to Masale? Or are you actually also complimented? Because the love that I show for your son. It's extended. Um, yeah. It, it's a participation in, mm. in your love of him. And, if, and in fact, your fatherhood is magnified by acknowledging your goodness alive in, in your son. And so why would, why would we ever want to neglect all of those sons and daughters that happen to be in heaven Correct. Uh, as saints? That would be terrible to. Yes. And, you know, a, 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 good, a good test of, of the health of, of one's relationship here with the Lord and the saints is if my love of the Lord is, is making my heart burn more ardently with love for those he loves, mm. that's a good thing. <laughs> if my heart as it's devoted to all these, these people in my life, if, if I'm discerning there, the love of the Lord alive in them or potentially alive in them, that, that too is a, it's a good sign. If on the other hand, I'm saying, Oh Lord, I love you so much, but I can't stand my neighbor. Well, I mean, St. John calls that out in his first letter. And he just says, you know, the one who loves God, but hates his neighbor is a liar. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't, he actually doesn't know or love God. And if, if my preoccupation with, with other people doesn't have the divine horizon in it, uh, it can risk becoming an idolatry. Mm. It, it can become manipulative and, and selfish. So there, there is a sense in which in our interactions with each other, we, we have to acknowledge deep down that the Lord has given us to each other as a, mm. as a, an immense gift. And, and, and we, we thank and praise the Lord for, uh, for the life that he's given to each of us and the life of, of friendship that, that he's created us to have. Would you say a good test, so to speak, uh, of the health, as you mentioned, is, you know, your feelings towards a, de- a devotion, they should always do, as Mary does, and point you to Christ. That's right. If they were pointing elsewhere or in any other way, that's clearly not a good sign. Yeah, no, no saint is a is a saint in and of himself mm. or herself. Every saint is made a saint by Christ, and every saint necessarily points to Christ. Mm. 
So Our Lady's last words recorded in scripture uh, at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> but the fact that the mother of Jesus was there and, and had a role to play in, in this miracle, it shows that the Lord delights in involving us in, in the working out of his plan. Mm. I mean, from the shepherds that he calls and gives, you know, the power of binding and loosing sins, the power of, of confecting the Eucharist, this is my body, this is my blood, to the power of, of, of loving in his name so that on judgment day, you know, what, what we've done or not done to the least will be revealed as having been done or not done to Christ. Like that, that commitment to us, that devotion to our thriving is irrevocable and it's, it's boundless. Yeah. That, that can be a bit overwhelming as you, as you think about it, because it's, it's so easy to, to catalog where you fall short. Of course. Um, but you know, it's also as simple as reclining on the bosom of the Lord <laughs> It's as simple as listening to him speak in the Sermon on the Mount. It's as simple as, as walking with him along the seashore. Mm. It's a, as simple as allowing him to cor- calm the storm. The, the apostles and holy women who experienced the Lord in those, those ordinary ways, they were both bonded more and more to him and more and more to each other simultaneously. So, you know, when the early church gathers in prayer in the upper room after Christ has ascended, the fact that they're there together praying, it it just reveals that in the plan of God, none of us is ever meant to do this alone. We're, We're meant to be part of this living support system of, of love. That's the communion of saints. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of After the Homily as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. I hope that you have a better sense of the importance of relationship, relationship with friends, with family, with spouse, relationship with those Christ loves in the form of devotion to his saints. I hope you'll plan to join us regularly for future episodes of After the Homily. Are there topics you'd like to hear about from Father Dan? Do you have a question that you'd like him to answer? If so, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at church at saintv.org and type After the Homily in the subject line, or you can text message me directly at 260-450-8878 and please start the message with After the Homily. And a special thanks to our friends at Redeemer Radio and Spoke Street Media for producing this podcast. You can enjoy an endless variety of amazing Catholic content by visiting SpokeStreet.com. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and thanks again for listening to After the Homily with Father Daniel Scheidt. is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.